Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Are you ready for what God has for you today? Whether you are in the room live, watching online, or later on demand, I know one thing for sure. God wants to do something new in you. There is nothing more exciting than knowing that God is at work, even if we can't see what He's doing and have to wait a while to find out. He is always good, so our lives are safe and secure in His hands, no matter what that new thing is. I'm Chris Voigt, and I have the immense privilege of leading the team here at Dayspring. It certainly keeps me on my toes because that team expends endless energy helping people grow. If you are visiting Dayspring today, we want you to know that you can come as you. We're just like you, regular people on a journey discovering what God has for us each day, and each day saying yes to becoming like Jesus, one step at a time. Which means that no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, this is a good place to figure out what your yes is today, and tomorrow, and the next day slowly becoming like Jesus. We haven't arrived yet, so we can be good company on the journey, even if you aren't sure the Christian life is a journey you want to be on. This is a good place to ask questions as you look for answers. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. I'm a jeans and t-shirt kind of guy, for the most part. I grew up in a jeans and t-shirt kind of family. It's, it's not that I don't have the, dress, the clothes to dress up a little. I just prefer to be comfortable. I've been fortunate to have always had jobs that fit my clothing aesthetic. I, I couldn't imagine being a lawyer or some job like that where I had to wear a suit to work every day, like a pastor. You know, real pastors wear suits. They look pastorly. Uh, growing up, all of the pastors I ever knew wore suits, especially on Sundays, but even during the week. Some of you older folks know what I'm talking about. Now, years ago, I, I walked into the lobby during a midweek event, and a dear older saint brought her friend over to me to introduce us. And she said, you can't tell by what he's wearing, but this is my pastor. <laughs> In the words of Popeye, the world's greatest sailor man, I am what I am. I try to live a life with no pretenses. I want my life to be an open book, nothing to hide. I want us to be the kind of church that welcomes everyone just as they are, including me. Now, here at Dayspring, there's no need to hide your true self behind a shirt and a tie, unless you're Glenn Barker. And he's not hiding anything behind his suit coat every Sunday. That's just who he is. Kind of like Pastor John is the flannel guy. Bug. Gives me hives just thinking about it. <laughs> I do have two suits. 
a charcoal suit and a blue suit. Uh, Shortly after I became a pastor, my friend and mentor, Paul Knoll, told me that I needed to buy a suit for weddings and funerals. So I did. That's really the only time I dressed to please other people. Well, and a little at church, uh, too. I mean, not a suit, but you've never seen me up here in ratty jeans and a t-shirt before. But most of the time, it's only at those two events that I don't want to be a barrier between someone and the cross. There are people who have expectations for pastors, and I don't want to unnecessarily get in the way, especially during highly emotional events. That's not the time to make a statement about something so unimportant as my clothes. So at weddings and funerals, the love that Christ calls us to compels me to get a little uncomfortable. Although, on the other side of that, when I officiated at David and Kelly Sparks' wedding a year or so ago, they compelled me to wear a Hawaiian shirt. And for the record, I was just as uncomfortable in that as I would have been in my suit. Maybe more so because there are probably pictures hanging around. Don't get any wise ideas, David and Kelly. I know you're watching from Hawaii right now. Of course, what you wear doesn't change who you are on the inside. But who you are on the inside does affect the kind of clothing you wear. And as uh, we're going to see in Ephesians today, now that we are Christ followers, we are different on the inside, which means it's time for a new set of clothes. If you are joining us for the first time today, we're working our way through the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus in our series that we've titled Ephesians, Becoming Who You Are. Emphasis on the word are. From the moment we decide to follow Christ, we receive a new identity. We are adopted into God's family, and with our adoption comes citizenship in God's eternal kingdom. We exchange the tattered rags or garments of our old self and put on our new garments in Christ. To the Colossian church, Paul put it this way. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. And he begins to describe what the new clothes of our new nature look like down in verse 12. He says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, And patience. And then down in verse 14, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. He told the the church in Rome to remove their dark deeds like dirty clothes and then put on shining armor. And then to the Galatian church, he said, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. All that to say, in our new identity, we are clothed in Christ. And that new set of duds comes with perks. As we saw in the first three chapters of Ephesians, those perks just are. Whether we live them out or not is another question. But one of those perks is the security we get in knowing that not only have we been chosen for a purpose, we have been given a guarantee for our future in the Holy Spirit. We are no longer dead spiritually, but alive in Christ, which means that our eternal life has already started because we will never be dead spiritually again. 
A third perk is, the, is membership in the beautiful body of Christ that we call the church. As followers of Jesus, we are one family united in Christ and together we make the wholeness of Christ visible to the world around us. As we live out this mission, we are deepening our understanding of Christ's love for us. Our roots are sinking ever deeper into his great love for us, which in turn makes us more like Jesus, which should be the sole pursuit for all of us. Those are some of the perks of our new identity in Christ. And all of those are true whether we really understand them yet or not, whether we live them out well or not. All of these perks became true of our new identity the moment we decided to follow Jesus. If I were wearing a suit right now, I would use the churchy word and call that our justification. When we surrendered our lives to Jesus, through Jesus, uh, we were made right with God. We were justified with God. And these became some of the perks of our new identity. And at the same time, we will spend our lifetime stepping into and living out of this new identity as we become more like Jesus, which we call our sanctification or becoming like Jesus. To end there, though, would give us an incomplete picture of our new identity because with our perks comes responsibility. And as Michelle taught us last week, we now also have the responsibility to walk like Jesus. We are not the same people we once were, and in our new identity, we must begin to walk like Jesus, a walk that in community will begin to mirror the unity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God with three different roles. A healthy expression of our unity will demonstrate the same. We are different people, each person uniquely crafted, united in one purpose. And as Jesus said, our unity will reveal him to the world. One more thing before we get to our text for today. All summer, we camped out on the idea that Jesus left us with only one command. Let's read this out loud together to remind us from John chapter 15. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. That's it. One command. He didn't say these are my commandments. Just one command. Love like Jesus. In every situation, if you ask yourself, what does love require of me? And then do whatever that is, you are obeying this one command. All of the other so-called commands that we find in the rest of the New Testament are simply unpacking what love requires in different situations. So Paul, Peter, John, and James aren't adding new commands. That's a, a common misunderstanding of the New Testament. One, uh, one command unpacked differently in uh, as the situation requires. So when Paul tells us to walk this way, that's what love requires. Or don't walk that way, that's also what love requires. Which makes sense if you think about it. This kind of love, uh, not the love as you want to be loved kind of love, or the love as they deserve to be loved kind of love, but the love as I have loved you kind of love was a completely new concept at the time. The people of God needed help unpacking what that looked like, lived out daily. 
This kind of love doesn't come naturally to people. Which brings us to where we left off last week. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. That love, that kind of love doesn't come naturally to people because apart from God, our minds don't work the way God designed them. Okay, Paul writes this. With, with the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. So Paul starts here with a reminder that we have been called out of the darkness and into the light. And light livers live differently than those in the dark. Let me illustrate it like this. God is light. In him, there is no darkness. We, on the other hand, are born into darkness. And apart from God, we spend our lives stumbling around in the dark. As different as the day is from the night, white from black uh, is how differently God thinks from the way we think. In Isaiah chapter 55, God tells us through the prophet Isaiah that my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Now, I, can't, I cannot stress this enough. His thoughts are nothing like our thoughts. Nothing. Most of us don't have the humility to receive this because we're generally too self-righteous. But apart from God, on my best day, my best thoughts are nothing like God's. Apart from God, I can't even imagine the ways of God. Imagine trying to explain your iPhone to Adam and Eve. They would have zero, absolutely zero context to understand even a tiny percentage of the, of the power that we take for granted every day. That's how different we think than God. So if apart from God, we think the correct way is right, we can just assume that we're wrong and it's left. It, it's, for example, it's natural for us to assume that love is conditional. Hurt me once, shame on you. Hurt me twice, shame on me. There won't be a third opportunity. That's how we think. God says, forgive, period. We think we need to fight for our rights. God says, sacrifice our rights for others. And freedom. We think freedom means that we can do whatever we want. But biblical freedom, the way God thinks about freedom, is that we have the freedom to do good to others. Like even as Christ followers, we think it's our strengths that God uses for his glory. Yet time and time again, God glorifies himself through our weakness. As I said, when we were talking about the mystery of redemption unfolding through the church in Ephesians chapter 3, God disguises his strength in our weakness. We don't think like that. So at the point that we surrender to Christ, God doesn't just change our faulty thinking. 
He moves us into the light and downloads a new operating system. We now have the incredible privilege of learning how to think like God. But even then, we aren't there yet. The process of learning to think like God is like changing the trajectory of our old way of thinking. Our old way of thinking still comes most naturally to us, especially when you consider the war that wages between our spirit and flesh, the old man and the new man. Uh, we like those old, comfortable clothes, and it takes time for us to break in our new ones. And our culture doesn't help one iota. We are surrounded by a culture that tells us our new way of thinking is an old way of thinking. We are constantly being indoctrinated by our culture, so much so that even the best of us have a hard time telling right from left sometimes. But eventually, as we become more and more like Jesus, we begin to think more and more like him. So these verses are a reminder that that old way of thinking is no longer our way of thinking. God has opened our minds. He has softened our hearts. He, he has given us the gift of healthy shame to train us in this new way of thinking. So live like it. Because, verse 20, that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. We now have the power to choose to live by the flesh or in the spirit. We are no longer dead, but alive. So we can choose to keep living like dead men walking or like the living, breathing citizens of heaven we are. Now, it's here in verse 22 that most of our modern trans translations have changed the phraseology. It means the same thing, but the, the New King James Version translation says that these old ways of thinking and living, therefore, must be put off as an old garment, a filthy garment. Quit wearing those old clothes. They don't fit you anymore. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Now, this is important here. I need your full attention on this one. Most of us try to do this the wrong way. Most of us try to put aside our old man the wrong way. Here's how we do it. By the way, when it comes to the way we think versus the way God thinks, this is another way that we're different. Because the way we try to go about becoming righteous makes sense to us, even though it is completely wrong. We try to say no to sin. No to the old way of thinking. We think, I'm not going to do that Thing, whatever that thing is for you. I'm not going to lose my temper. I'm not going to make sarcastic remarks that hurt people. I'm on a tight budget, so I'm not going to swing through Starbucks. I'm not going to mindlessly scroll through the, my news feed. I'm not going to look at those pictures on the internet. You know the ones I mean. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna. And then you do. Whatever your thing is, you give in every time. Eventually, your good intentions crumble every time time without fail 
I'm human too. I know from experience. You can't say no to sin. You can't say no to sin because it makes the sin, whatever it is, the focus. And anything you focus on becomes bigger and bigger until it takes over. Have you ever bought a new-to-you car and thought, you don't see many of these on the road. And then all, all you see is your car on the road everywhere you turn. <laughs> your mind has this incredible way of spotlighting what you are thinking about or even not thinking about until it takes over. If I tell you not to think about a pink elephant, what's the first thing you do? <laughs> of course, now there's a pink elephant running rampant through your mind. You can't say no to sin because it highlights, it focuses on the wrong thing. Instead, in verse 23, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and, and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. You put on your new nature by saying yes to God instead of trying to say no to sin. Instead of, instead of saying no to anger, try saying yes to gentleness. Instead of saying no to snarkiness, try saying yes to kindness. For every no of your old man, there is a corresponding yes in your new man. And the more you focus on your yes, on thoughts and ways of God, the bigger that yes gets until it takes over and pushes your nose away. There simply isn't any room for the no anymore. There is far more power in God's yes than there is in Satan's no. We just try to get the right thing the wrong way. Now, not to leave us hanging, after describing the concept of putting off your old clothes, your old tattered, worthless garments, and putting on the new, Paul spends the next verses unpacking what putting off and putting on looks like practically in some of the scenarios of our day-to-day -day lives. So first, in verse 25, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we are all parts of the same body. So put off falsehood, put on truthful speech. Because we're all on the same team, living for the same God. Going back to what does love require of me? Love requires truth. There is no such thing as a benevolent lie. Even if we're trying not to hurt someone's feelings, there is a life-giving way to honor every situation. Honor truth in every situation. We cannot build each other up apart from truth. And then in verses 26 and 27. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Put off sinful rage. Anger in and of itself is not sin. Even God gets angry. Several times in the Old Testament, we see the phrase, the anger of the Lord. Uh, even Jesus was righteously angry when he overturned the tables in the temple. We would, we would call this righteous anger. It's hard for us to have righteous anger because our emotions often get in the way and cloud things up. Our motives get fuzzy. We, we lack the omniscience or the all-knowingness of God and we're tainted by sin. So let's be honest. Most of our anger 
moves to sin because we stew in it. We let it simmer. We share it with others. We erupt. We, we let it control us. Sinful anger holds grudges. It seeks revenge or retaliation. It wants to harm those who anger us. It, it breaks relationships. It divides. Biblical anger directs itself at the appropriate object, the sinful behavior, moral corruption, or unjust circumstances, as opposed to the person. And if you think about it, we could actually use more of this kind of anger. Silence and apathy allow evil and injustice to ruin lives. Sinful anger is what Paul is talking about. That kind of anger gives Satan a foothold in your life. It leads to more junk, so don't let it simmer. Obviously, not every situation can get resolved by bedtime, but get it resolved as quickly as you can. So put off anger and put on, let's call it controlled indignation. We get angry, we turn it over to Jesus, we handle the situation in a godly manner, we forgive, we move on. That's what love requires. Next up in verse 28. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Stealing was, in particular, a sin of slaves in Paul's day. They generally weren't cared for well. They were always in need, and there was no protection under the law for them. In Titus chapter 2, Paul urged Titus to caution the slaves not to steal, but to be faithful to their masters. There are lots of ways to steal. It isn't just robbing banks, shoplifting, embezzling, and fraud. Stealing is also wasting time at work not paying your debts, or as an employer, not paying a fair wage. Uh, Paul told the Colossian church to work as though working for the Lord, not men. Because in, in the end, whatever we do, we're working for him. How would God measure your efforts at work? Love requires generosity. So put off dishonest gain and put on honest labor that you will have something to share with others in need. Two more. Verse 29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Circle the word foul if you've got uh, your actual Bible with you. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Uh, some versions of the Bible translate this first phrase uh, that, that we see as foul or abusive language as unwholesome speech, which might be a better way of looking at this. Just because you didn't cuss someone out doesn't mean your speech honored God. In Greek, the word used for foul is used to describe rotting fruit or putrid fish. You know, I'll take things that stink for 500, Alex. So yes, foul and abusive language includes cursing, but it also includes crude jokes, sarcasm, unkind or mean-spirited remarks. We know from our our summer series on the power of words that the, the mouth and the heart are connected. Jesus pointed that out in Matthew 12, which means that unwholesome speech says far more about the state of your heart 
than anyone else's. If you are going to give someone a window to your soul, why not make it something that builds them up instead of something rotten that makes them want to puke? I'm just saying. So let's put off unwholesome speech and put on edifying speech. Let's lift people up. Let's spur one another on toward love and good deeds, as the author of Hebrews says. Let's point out the good things that we see in others. They get stuck on the bad things pretty well all by themselves. They need our help to see what God is doing in their lives. This is like pointing them to their yes instead of leaving them stuck and focused on their no. We are imparting God's grace in other people's lives. And then last but not least, in verse, beginning in verse 30. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now, Paul has already talked about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives in chapter 1. At the moment of our salvation, he moves in. He is the seal on our adoption papers. He is always with us, regardless of how we live. What we see here is that how we live can cause him pain and distress. The word for sorrow is the same word that described Jesus' sorrow in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that he was arrested. We grieve the Holy Spirit when he has to live in the yuck that comes with any of the yuck we've already talked about, but also bitterness, which is harboring resentment and rejecting reconciliation. Rage, or that simmering anger that has yet to be released. Anger, which is the release stage. We unleash emotional and or physical harm towards someone. Harsh words, which we've already covered. Slander, which I define as negatively changing someone's opinion of another person. I harm their reputation. And lest there be any confusion, any other yuck. All types of evil behavior otherwise not mentioned. This is Paul's way of saying I could go on and on and on with this analogy of putting off and putting on. So don't go thinking I've got all these down so I must be doing great. If you're breathing you're still putting off and putting on something. We put off hateful actions and attitudes and we put on loving attitudes and actions. Specifically kindness, tenderheartedness which could be defined as empathy in action. And forgiveness. And while everything Paul has listed in these verses not only impacts our relationship with God and others, our motive for putting on our new duds isn't just to build better horizontal relationships. The impact is also vertical. We either grieve the Holy Spirit or we bless him as we imitate Christ. Or not. Of course, even the best of us, despite our best intentions, will get our new duds dirty every now and then. We fall down and rip our new jeans. We slip into our old habits and vices. We get stuck in sin cycles. We fail. We're human. The good news is that God's got a great washing machine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just 
to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And voila, that shirt is as good as new. Our confession becomes the detergent of cleansing or something like that. I think I'll stop drawing this analogy out before I get into trouble. Fortunately, we've come a long way since Adam and Eve fig-leafed their way around Eden. Uh, we have countless options now. And because we are, we're all born in sin and still fight the good fight in a fallen body, I know that each of us is still holding on to at least some old tattered rag that we keep putting on. We still have thoughts and attitudes and actions that continue to grieve the heart of God. Isaiah also tells us that even our righteous deeds are like filthy garments. So as far as you might have come, there is still far to go. Now, in a, in a perfect analogy, I wouldn't be covering my ratty old t-shirt with a dress shirt. We aren't trying to cover up the old we want to get rid of it completely. Nonetheless, as we close, what new clothes do you need to say yes to? Paul's given us a, a pretty good starting place to consider. Do you need to exchange sensuality and impurity for righteousness and holiness? Lies for truth, greed, and stealing for productive God-honoring work? Unwholesome speech for kindness? You have something I know that because I have something too. Let's pray. Father, in these moments, we, we ask that you would unleash the Holy Spirit in each one of us. That you, you would bring to mind the parts of our old man that we have been holding on to, those tattered rags that we keep putting on as we reject the new ones that you've set aside for us. Father, reveal to us how we can say yes in that situation. Whatever that is for each one of us, and we're all different, Help us to find the yes, that we might say yes to becoming like Jesus, to wearing Christ as you've called us to, that the world would see that we are different, that we, are, that we, that we become light in the darkness, drawing people to Jesus. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions alone or with others will help the truth of God's word find its place in your life. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen or you can call the church during the week. Faithful people like you make this ministry possible. People who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring 
who have experienced God's work in and through their own lives and been changed in the process. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. We are simply excited to play a small part as God does His perfect work in you today. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website, or text GIVE to the number on your screen, or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. And one more thing. Thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives, so keep sowing. And if this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. Until we meet again, may you experience great joy in the presence of Jesus.